You're listening to a podcast from Bayside Church International. This has been a worship weekend. Um, we spent some time on Thursday and then again yesterday. And Chad's asked me to just speak a bit on worship um, this morning. And I could be here for the next year preaching every Sunday on worship because there is so much to delve into. And I've got to try and squeeze in a few Nice little encouraging things for you today in the, in the small space of time. So I need you to be with me. All right? Engage your brain. Engage your heart. Because I want to just release and bring some truth to you that I believe is going to be really helpful for you as a church. How many of you know that God wants to relate to us at his level? Jesus came and he came down to our level. He says he emptied himself of everything. And he came to our level to lift us up, to lift us from the miry clay, to lift us up from the gutter into another realm. You and I are meant to live from our heavenly position of being seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen. That's where you're meant to live from. That's where you're meant to pray from. You pray from heaven down to earth. You're not standing on earth begging God to do something. We pray with, a, with faith prophetically into, our, into this time-space realm, but we do it from another realm. And so God wants, He's come and He wants us to relate to Him at His level. How many of you know God is a happy God? I'm not always happy. I want to be. I'm trying to live in that happy place all the time. Uh, we're staying at Chad and Jay's and I've uh, Robin got a coffee coffee cup out for me and it's got Mr. Happy on it. And every time I look at it, it reminds me, no, that's, God wants us to relate to him at his level. And he is a happy God. Amen. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17, one of my favorite verses. And if you look at it, literally what it means, I said this to the guys, I think yesterday, God gets up from his throne and he spins and he twirls and he dances with delight over you. What's your concept of God? Is he a mean, harsh God? Is he a God who's just waiting for you to do something wrong and then he's going to come and smack you? That's, that's not the picture of God that I have. God is happy. And he is singing songs of joy and songs of freedom and songs of delight and songs of my future and songs of prosperity and songs of healing over me every single day. That's the God I serve. And so he's happy. He wants me to relate to him at his level. I should relate to him as a happy person. Are you happy this morning? Are you breathing? I'm used to a little bit more noise. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Look, just think about this. This is going to go all over the world. And you're part of it. So we want people out there to think there's 5,000 people in here. <laughs> we want them to get the impression that Bayside is thousands of people. Okay, you got it. It clicked. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> So God wants us to relate to him at his level, and he is a happy, happy God. He comes in, he, we were talking about Israel, so he sets Israel free. He brings them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and his promise is to take them into a land full of prosperity. And what do they do? 
He opens the Red Sea. They come through, and for a moment, Miriam sings a song of praise, of thanksgiving to God. All right? But it's not long after that, and what happens? They complain. He provides manna for them in the desert, and what do they do? They complain. He, they, they get sick of bread, so they go, give us meat. So he gives them meat. What do they do? Complain. Crazy. God's a happy God. He is bringing freedom to them, but they haven't recognized it. And all they can do is complain about what they don't have instead of rejoicing and thanking God in what they do have. Do you know that praise and complaint cannot come out of your mouth at the same time? Only one thing can come out of your mouth. And we make a choice. Am I a worshipper of God? Am I a praiser of Him? Or am I going to be a complainer? And you know that in the book of Deuteronomy where it talks about you know, blessings and curses? God gives a whole list of blessings that will come upon you. The, the proviso is that if you obey the law. Well, thank God we're not under the law. We've been set free from the law. And Jesus fulfilled all the law on our behalf. So we're not under the law. But there are still some things there that we can learn. He says there is blessings come to you, but these curses will come to you if you don't obey. But do you know what the, what the one thing, there was one primary thing that God mentions in those curses that will come upon you? He says, if this is why, this is why. And we think it's all got to do with the law, with obeying the law. But he says this, he says, you are not grateful. You are not thankful in your heart for what I had done. And he lists that as one of the primary reasons why he says, hey, I'm not happy. See, we can't afford to have complaint come out of our mouth. We need to live a life that is full of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. Amen? That, man, there's so much I want to say. Three major things in terms of worshipping God. One is that our worship to Him is ministry unto Him. Do you know that you can minister to God? God is totally self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything, but He desires your worship. He is seeking true worshippers. You can minister unto God. You can bring Him delight. Do you know you feed God with your worship? Wow. This immense, amazing Creator. And you can minister to Him as you worship Him. I could spend a year on that. Second thing, quickly, your worship brings confusion to the devil. Do you know that? Do you know that when he felt, see, he was the angel of worship. He led worship in heaven. His whole body was full of musical instruments. So every time he breathed, a musical sound came out that was giving praise to God. But he wanted that worship for himself. And so he rebelled against God. He said, I'm going to rise to the throne of heaven. And he rebelled against God, and God cast him out of heaven. But if you read it, what happened? It says, God caused a fire to come out of him and consume him. Everything that was spiritual about Lucifer, about Satan, was destroyed. Which means all of his spiritual capacity, all of his spiritual perception to understand the things of God, he lost. Our, our worship is spiritual. 
We worship in spirit and truth. And so when our worship rises through the heavens, he has no perception of what is happening. He has no understanding. And so what happens is he is brought into confusion when he hears the sound of worship rising. He does not know what to do with it. That's why your worship has such authority. But our worship, God has designed it in such a way that it also gives us great benefit. It blesses us. As much as we minister to God, as much as it carries authority in the heavens, it brings great benefit to you and I. That's how generous and how gracious God is. Something that is exclusively for him, he has made it so that it benefits us. Isn't God good? <laughs> so I want to give you a couple of things. I want to give you, I think, I don't know, five or six things, just as quick as I can. The benefits of our worship. The powerful effects of our praise. All right, you ready? You with me? Are you happy? This is my wife. You did meet her before. We married 40 years next year. I know, you think we got married when we were three. <laughs> Number one, can you just pop that first thing up there? Thanks. Praise is the entrance point into his presence. Psalm 100 verse 4 says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Enter into his presence. See, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Hebrews 10 verse 19 says that we can enter into the very throne room of heaven because of the blood of Jesus. His blood has made a way for us to come in. Under the old covenant, the only way that the priest could come into the Holy of Holies was to bring blood and to sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Well, folk, the ultimate blood was shed. The ultimate sacrifice was made, Jesus. And his blood has made a way for us to come into the very presence of God. But God has ways. He has ways and means. He has a way for us to come. Jesus' blood opened the way, but we come into his presence with praise. We come into his presence with a heart of gratitude and of thanksgiving to him. Psalm 91, I think it was Moses who probably wrote that, not David, says that, that, that we live under the shelter. He who lives under the shelter of the Most High. That's the shadow. That's the glory of his presence. And he says there's protection, there's provision for us when we live in that place. Wouldn't you love to live in the glorious presence of God every day? Folks, this, this should never be theory. This should always bring practical manifestation. And God wants us to live in his presence every single day. I was sitting on a panel, um, a Q&A panel for another church just a few weeks ago. And they were interviewing us about what we do. Um, we take a team into a psychic fair every year. It's coming up when we get back. And we just pray for people to get saved, to get sick, to, to get healed, to get delivered. You know, all of these psychics, the mediums, they're all there. And we just go into the middle of it for three days and show them Jesus. 
And one of the questions that came up to me was, how do you cope with that horrible spiritual atmosphere? How many weeks do you pray and fast beforehand? And I said, actually, if you understand the authority that you carry, you've got more authority in your little finger than any of those people. And then what is that? You're carrying the presence of God. We, we wait for some ooey-gooey, you know, goosebump feeling before we think the presence of God is with us. Folks, I don't, the Holy Spirit is not an event. The Holy Spirit is a person who lives with you every single day. I walk in the presence of God every day. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. And so many of us, what we do is we wait for some little goosebump feeling to think, oh, the presence of God has come. No, I carry the presence of God. You carry it. Problem is, our mind gets in the way and we don't realize what you have. Okay, number two, quick. Praise is a safeguard against complaint. I said, I mentioned before, you can't have praise and complaint coming out of your mouth at the same time. Let's do a little experiment. You've done this before, I'm sure. Count aloud from one to ten. Every one of you. Now say your name. Okay, stop. What a horrible mess that was. But when you were counting, when I said say your name, what happened to the counting? In order for you to say your name, the counting had to stop. If you're going to be a praiser, there's something else that has to stop. Just do a quick little assessment of your life, of your mouth, right now, the next two seconds. What's the ratio like? What are your percentages like? How much praise comes out of your mouth? How much of a heart of thanksgiving towards God comes? And how much complaint comes? See, it's, it's, it's good, actually, sometimes to actually just stop and take stock and assess where we're at. You know what happens when, compl- when complaint continually comes out of your mouth? The devil's suddenly got a handle that he can grab a hold of and lead you around wherever he wants. And I don't want any handles. I'm not a little teapot. I don't want any handles on me that the devil can come and grab a hold of and begin to control my life. What comes out of your mouth starts with a thought. It's out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Paul says that any thought that is contrary to the reality of Christ in your life, he says, take those thoughts captive. You control what comes out of your mouth. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You made a choice. We're a body. One body. All one in Christ. We're brothers and sisters. What does that mean in terms of our heart of worship to God? Especially in this area of Complaint or praise. Here's what it means. We can't afford to have a word of complaint coming out of our mouth against one another. Just let that sink in for a moment. Your praise is powerful. 
Your praise is a powerful weapon in the heavens, but so is your complaint. We should be honouring one another. We should be lifting one another up, esteeming one another, not putting people up on a pedestal, but acknowledging the glorious gift of God in their life and recognising that in every single person. How many, how many times do you thank the guys who serve you every week? How many times do you thank the guys who every week they come and faithfully serve on the sound desk or on the video or on the, on the overheads? We need to esteem them and thank them. Amen? Ooh, you're very quiet about that. And Paul writes to Timothy, he says, he says, In the last days, people are going to be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. And he goes on and he begins to list a whole lot of things in terms of just, just bad lifestyle, you know. They're going to be deceived. They're going to hate people. There's going to be anger. There's going to be bitterness. But do you know what he puts in amongst all of that? Ungratefulness to God. He lists it as one of those, those horrible sins that are going to come in and just come in like a flood in the last days. Ungratefulness to God. We can be ungrateful towards one another Ungrateful to God, ungrateful towards one another. And what does that do? It brings disunity. We can't afford to have that, folks. You know, one of the beautiful, one of my favorite portions of Scripture is 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11 to 14. You can make a note and go and read it. It's the dedication of the temple. And it says, all of the singers, all of the musicians, it says they were in unity together and with one voice in unison. They began to worship God and the glory of God came so thick that no one could stand. They could tangibly see the glory of God. It was like a mist. We've had meetings where there's just been a mist, a glory cloud that has just come down over us. It's awesome. Praise is a safeguard against complaint. Number three. What time, what time do we finish? So I just don't know. Oh, no, don't tell me that. <laughs> 11.30, okay. All right, so I've got a little bit of time in. Praise is a safeguard against deception. It's a safeguard against deception. It keeps us humble. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 how... People had denied God. They deliberately denied the existence of God. And they fashioned idols to worship for themselves. Or they worshipped the earth. Or they worshipped a whole lot of other things. They worshipped themselves. They worshipped animals. Because they denied the existence of God. They would not worship Him. And as a result, a whole lot of deception came in. And so, folk, whenever we come back to that place of praise, that place of worship where God is central, when our focus is upon Him, upon His goodness, upon what He has done, about, upon what He will do, upon who He is, it is a safeguard. It insulates you against deception. Because the more you have your eyes upon Him and you see His beauty, 
You don't see all this other junk that's going on in the world. So Paul makes it plain. He says the reason these guys were so deceived and went into a life of such debauchery was because they refused to acknowledge who God is. What is that? That is worship. Your worship is an acknowledgement of who he is. And so our praise, folks, stands as a safeguard for us against deception. Deception comes because of pride. I don't need God. I am God. That's how many people think. I am my own God. And so I'm going to make my own set of rules. I'm going to live by my standard, not by his standard. I'm going to live in my own righteousness rather than live in his righteousness. That's pride. What does the Bible say? Pride comes before a fall. God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. You know, you know, you know you're, you're, if, if we're true worshippers, and, and that's, what Jesus, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 4, God is seeking those who are true worshippers. When pride comes into my worship, and I'm worshipping, and I hope, hope people are watching me while I lift my hands, can't they see how free I am? I need to got both hands up. Okay. Should I go there? <laughs> no, maybe not. Let me just let you in on a little secret. Worship is not for you. There are great benefits that come to us, but it's not for you. It's not about you about him and whenever we wherever we kind of slip into a thing of my preference then you've made worship about you and not about God remember the thing about praise or complaint I don't worship too loud I don't like that song What's happened? We've made worship about us and about our personal preferences rather than about God. I don't like it when they dance. When they dance. Well, the Bible is full of examples of people dancing in worship. If you don't like it, tough. It's not for you. It's for him. <laughs> now, what is that, folks? When, when we start to superimpose our preference in worship, what's happening? Pride. Because it's more about me than it is about him. And so what humility does, humility and submission go hand in hand. So I'm submitting my rights as to what my preferences are because I want to bring glory to him and I want to do it in spirit and in truth. Spirit is worship rising up from your spirit, not just your head. 
in truth is the truth of what this word declares regarding worship. And there's a whole lot of stuff in here that talks about demonstrative worship. You see, folk, worship is always vocalized or demonstrated. Always. Always. So don't allow your preferences to limit your experience of God. Don't allow it to rise up and allow pride to rise up because I want to tell you, eventually, if you allow that thing to keep going, pride's going to come up and complaint is going to start coming out of your mouth. And there's no place for complaint in us as believers. Are you with me? This is not heavy. It's not heavy, is it? It's just... I'm just trying to just help us understand some stuff here today. What nature do you have? Are you not sure? It's not a trick question. Sometimes we wonder. We were, we were born in Adam, which means we were born in sin. We were born with Adam's DNA. We were born with a sin nature, Right? That's how we were born. That's the nature that we carried. But something happened when you got saved. Paul says that my old nature was circumcised out of me, which means it was cut out of me. Guys, anyone who has had the chop, you know what it is? They take that bit of skin and they throw it away. That's no longer useful to you. The doctor's not going to come and reattach it. And that's how Paul describes what's happened to your old nature. The old has gone, a new, the new has come. What's the new? That's the new nature of Christ in you. So what nature do you carry? The nature of Adam or the nature of Jesus? You carry the new nature of Jesus. So in the new nature of Christ, is there any complaint? So there's no place for complaint in our life because that's something that's from the old nature. It's not the new nature that I now walk in. Hello? We've we, we got this idea that there's this dog in us that's fighting us all the time. That's the old nature. So there's this war going on between this old nature, this dog of a thing, that's trying to stop the new nature from coming out. You know, that's not biblical. We've been taught a whole lot of stuff through man-made traditions that nullify the power of the Word of God. That old nature was cut out of you. It's no longer part of you. It is gone. Well, why do we still sin? Why do we still have these horrible thoughts? Why do we still do things that are wrong? Why? Because sin is no longer on the inside of you, but it is on the outside of you. And it's trying to creep up behind you to take a hold of you again. So what does Paul say? Uh-huh, those thoughts ain't coming towards me. That stuff ain't coming towards me. You know the safeguard? I go back to looking at Jesus I go back to worshipping him. I go back to seeing. Every t- you know what happens, folks? Every time you look to him, if you're a believer and you understand what happened to you when you got saved, every time you go back and look to Jesus, you see yourself. You see who you really are in Christ. Wow. Wow. See, I received his gift of righteousness. And Isaiah 61.10 says that I am clothed with a robe of righteousness. 
And that's how God sees me. You need to see yourself like that. But do you know what came with that robe of righteousness? You know what else is in that, in that same verse? Well, you guys need to read your Bible. Chad's, been, Chad, Chad's got you on a whole Bible reading program. I saw it. Maybe you haven't got to this verse yet. Not only did you receive the gift of righteousness, not only are you clothed with righteousness, you received a garment of praise. Oh, you do know. Come on, you were just making out. <laughs> uh, number four, quick, 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 quick. I've got to rush now. Now I've got to rush. Praise is a strengthener to our faith. It's a strengthener to our faith. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you are taught, overflowing with thankfulness. How are you strengthened in your faith? You keep putting your eyes back on the source of your faith. Jesus. Keep putting your eyes on the source of your faith. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, when it says he's the perfecter of your faith, that doesn't mean that you have imperfect faith because God can't give you an imperfect gift. Jude chapter 1, verse 20, I think it is. It says that we are to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. That faith you received is holy. It is already perfect. So what's he talking about when he says, says, it says God, Jesus is going to perfect our faith. All he's saying is, is as, as you draw on that faith, as you begin to walk on that faith, it becomes manifest in you. And so it becomes complete. The word actually is complete. The word is finished. Jesus starts faith. He gives you the gift of faith. And we all have the same faith. Oh, I wish I could teach on that. You've all received the gift of faith. It's the same faith. It's Jesus' faith in you. So Jesus doesn't have to perfect his faith in you. He's just got to bring it to completion so that it's manifest through you. And the more we come back to the focus of the source of our faith. And how do you do that? You do that through your worship. You do that through your praise of him. Faith starts to rise up. Whenever I feel I'm lacking in faith, I don't go through a process of trying to muster up faith. If that's what you're doing, can I ask you, just stop. Don't try and get more faith. Jesus said if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, you've got enough to move a mountain. It's not, that, it's not how much faith you think you have to have. It's just utilising the faith that he has given you. So I don't have faith in my faith. Faith in your faith is a waste of time. I've got faith in the faith of Jesus in me. And as I look to him, his faith gets activated in my life. And that's when you see miracles start to happen. That's when you see breakthrough. That's when you see deliverance come. So praise is a strengthener to our faith. How many of you know that it's easy to praise God after he's done something? Yeah? 
You know, you've been praying for, for a healing to happen and suddenly a healing happens. It's easy to praise God then. I've been praying for a family member to get saved and they get saved. Well, it's easy to thank God then. But what about before? How many of us praise God in advance for what he's going to do? Do you know that that's, that should be the majority of your prayer? Your, your prayer should be full of thanksgiving. Full of thanksgiving. Paul says in uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Right? Where was Paul when he wrote that? In prison. Thank you, God. You're getting me out of this prison. Well, I'm not out yet, so I'm not, I'm not going to thank you anymore. Got to wait. Come on. Show up, God. Do your thing. Do your thing. Break this change. Come on, come on. It's not happening. It's not happening. Where are you, God? Come on. What's happening? Complaint starts to come out of our mouth. No, Paul doesn't do that. He thanks God in advance. If you, re- if you go on, if you just keep reading in Philippians chapter 4, he then starts to speak about the way that we are to pray. He says, come, bring your petitions, bring your requests to God. And thank him. So he starts out with thanksgiving. Rejoice in the Lord always. Praise God. Then bring your requests and then thank him. Like a prayer sandwich. It's like a, like, a, like, a, like a praise sandwich. You know, you've got prayer in the middle. That's how our prayer should be. It should be with thanksgiving. Most of our prayer, folk, isn't your shopping list coming to God, telling him all your needs and how bad things are and what you want. What are you doing? All you're doing is concentrating on the problem. What does praise do? It lifts your eyes to the answer. Praise and faith go hand in hand. Have a look at what Paul writes continually, all the time. It's praise, it's thanksgiving, and then it's faith. It's faith, it's praise, it's thanksgiving. It's like this, this, this it's hand in glove. They go together all the time. What are the one, what, what's one of the proofs that you're standing in faith? Praise is going to come from your lips. Praising God in advance for what he is going to do. Oh, there's so many stories in Scripture that we could look at for that. Number five, praise is a safeguard against fear and doubt. I will praise the Lord at all times. No matter what comes against me, no no matter what I am facing, I am constantly going to speak of of the goodness of God because I trust in him. How many of you have been in difficult situations where it's been so bad that a fear has come? About three people. Gee, so good to be in a church that is so free. (laughs) If we're all honest with ourselves, there there have been times where stuff's happening around us and you start to doubt. And if you allow that doubt to remain without dealing with it, it's not long before it starts to turn to a fear. And you might not want to acknowledge that. You might not even recognize what's going on. But anything that takes you away from confidence in God, do you know what it is? It's fear. We, we, we just think fear is the really bad things, you know, when the boogeyman comes. No, 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 fear, fear is anything that is not confidence in God. 
So when I come back to that place of worshipping him, of seeing how great, how big he is. Do you know how awesome God is? He is so amazing. Holds the whole universe in his hand. And we worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Where's your confidence? Where, where is your confidence? Is your confidence in him? So what does worship does? It, it just keeps bringing us back to put our eyes on the one who is the answer. And so whenever, whenever something comes and I start to fear fearful, I, can't, I just come back. That, that's the time to worship God. That's, just the, that's the time to open my mouth and just begin to thank him in advance for what he is going to do. Amen? When our attention is constantly or continually upon Jesus and his goodness and upon his power and not the problem, we get a whole new perspective of what's happening here. Wouldn't you love to be able to just live every day, every day from that heavenly place? See, how, how, how do you cope with life when, there's a, when, there's a, when you're facing a real problem? When, when that thing is staring you in the face all day long? Whatever it is, maybe it's a really difficult work situation, maybe it's a difficult family situation, maybe it's sickness, whatever it is. How do, you, how do you cope with that thing when it's right there in your face every single day? Well, there's only one way you can cope with it, folks. You have to get a fresh perspective of it. You have to see it from another angle. Because when you're facing it like this all the time, that's all you see. You need a different perspective. You actually need to be elevated to a higher realm so that you can look down upon it and see it in its proper perspective. You ever flown in a plane and you look down? You see how small everything is. Like when, you, when, you, when you're seated in that heavenly realm, when you know who you are in Christ, when you know that he is the one who's in charge, when you know he's the one who can change everything, you get a different perspective of what's going on down here. And your problem becomes so small. God, you can deal with that. I thank you. I worship you. I praise you, God, because this is nothing to you. Uh, let me just finish with this. First Samuel chapter 30, there's the story of David. And uh, he's still waiting to actually be king. He's been pronounced king by Samuel, the prophet. He's been anointed to be king. But Saul is still on the throne. And Saul's not happy with David. So, you know, David's been living in caves. Eventually he comes out of those caves. He has a band of men who are, who are following him. And uh, he's out still protecting the people. He's still protecting the nation because he wants the best for the land of his birth. And uh, he wants to fulfill the purposes of God in his life. So he's out protecting others. And he comes back to his hometown with his men and he finds that an enemy has come in and raided the city and taken away their wives and their kids as captive and taken all their possessions with them. And, uh, and David and his men are pretty upset. In fact, it says they wept until they had no more strength to weep. 
because they were facing a dire situation. Imagine that, folks. You come home and your house has been ransacked. People have stolen, come in, they've broken in, they've stolen all of your possessions. They've taken everything you own. They've taken your wife and your kids captive. How would you feel? What would be the first thing that starts to come out of your mouth? Where was me? Complaint. Where were you, God? Why didn't you protect me? You know, I, I was at a friend's wedding years and years and years ago. Um, we were there. Um, anyway, we were at his, at his wedding. And, and, and while his wedding was going on, people broke into his little unit and they stole everything. So he comes back from his wedding ceremony and his house is empty. How would that make you feel? It's not nice. Not nice. A few years ago when we came over here, uh, we ministered here for a few days and then we, and then we had a holiday. And when we, when we got back home, we opened our front door to find that one of the uh, uh, pipes in our house had burst and our whole house was flooded. Everything wrecked. Not, not, not particularly. You know, you come back all refreshed. <laughs> so that's what happens to David. And, and, and they weep to the point they have no strength. And then David's men rise up in anger. But they don't rise up in anger against those who came in and stole everything. They rose up in anger against David. And they wanted to kill him. They're blaming him. It's amazing when things, when things are all smooth, the past is wonderful. <laughs> and then something irks us and we get offended or something doesn't go quite smoothly. What happens? It's Chad's fault. <laughs> I'm just trying to make this real. But then there's this wonderful little verse in that whole story. And it's this, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, how did David do that? He was a worshiper. David was known as a praiser. And he went away and he began to just focus back on the goodness of God. And he began to worship him. And you know what happened out of that time of worship where David was being strengthened by God? A prophetic word came that gave him insight as to how he could now go and recover everything that was stolen. Yeah. Folk, the devil's stolen from some of you. Stolen your health. You've stolen hope. You've stolen faith. And we can wait and hope that someone else will come along and restore that to us. But we can rise up and strengthen ourselves in the Lord and have all of that return to us. We make the choice. Is it complaint or is it praise? We make the choice. Like I believe one of the things that God has for you as a church in this whole 
area, right across, right through to Gulwa, every direction, is that this house would be known, not just as a house of singing, but as a house of praise. And not just the sound of music. Oh, the hills are alive. But with the power of praise. Do you know that your song can release healing to someone? Do you know that your song can bring deliverance to someone? It can bring deliverance to yourself. seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. True worshipers. We've, we've scratched the surface today. There is so, so much. A heart of worship. A heart of worship. It will transform your life. Amen. I think there's only one thing we can do. Let's go home. No, um, <clears throat> there's only one thing we can do, folks. I think we've got to. I think we have to stand, and I think we've just got to give glory and honour to the King. Amen. Remember what I said before: our praise brings confusion to the enemy. He has strategies against you that he's been trying to employ. Well, this morning we're going to put those things to flight. They have no authority in your life. Amen. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every sickness, to break every condition off of you this morning as we lift our eyes and we worship Him. Amen. Let's praise Him. Thanks, Mal. Whoever. Ellie, go. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.